Welcome to the final episode of Chill with a Chapter Book from the Wells Public Library. My name is Allison, and tonight I will be reading Harriet the Spy by Louise Fitzhugh. Book 3, Chapter 15 When Harriet woke up, it seemed very late in the morning. She had been awakened not by her mother calling her, but by an angle of the sun hitting her face. She sat straight up in bed. She couldn't hear anything from downstairs. She got up quickly, dressed, and ran down, feeling vaguely as though something was wrong. No one was in the dining room. In fact, the table wasn't even set. She ran down to the kitchen, narrowly missing the cook who dodged aside just in time. Where's my breakfast? Lunch, most likely. What do you mean? It's 12 o'clock. You sure slept a long time. Why didn't you wake me up? I'm late for school, Harriet shouted. Don't yell at me or I'll quit. Your mama said not to wake you up. Where is she? Upstairs, both of them. In there talking about you. Where, what do you mean? Harriet felt frantic. Up there. Enjoying herself, the cook gestured upstairs in an offhand way. Harriet turned and ran up the stairs. The library door was closed. There was the murmur of a voice coming through the door. She crept closer. Then she heard her father talking on the phone. Well, Dr. Wagner, let me ask you this. Yes, yes, I know she's a very intelligent child. Yes, well, we're aware that she has a lot of curiosity. Yes, a sign of intelligence, yes, quite right, I would say so. Now, doctor, the thing is, yes, I think she just might make a writer. What? A project? Oh, school. Yes, I think, yes, we'll call the principal. A few days' absence? Well, I think that can be arranged. But you're sure, absolutely sure, that she's all right? Yes. Yes, exceptional. Yes, well, I think we know that. What? Oh, yes, well, as I explained, she left. But you think? Yes, I see. Well, I think we have her address somewhere. You think that would be a good idea? I see. Yes, I see. Yes, well, thank you very much, Doctor. You've been a great deal of help. Yes, I understand and I agree with you. She always listens to her. Yes, a regression, yes. Uh, one thing more, Doctor, you're sure? Yes, quite sure. Good, well, thank you again. Goodbye. Harriet's ears were standing out from her head. Of course that's me, she thought. Of course I'm intelligent. He thinks we should mumble and mumble to mumble mumble. Oh, how irritating. When he wasn't shouting into the phone, her father couldn't be heard. That's a splendid mumble. Mrs. Welsh couldn't be heard either. And then the school, a mumble. Perhaps a project which would mumble her to mumble herself. And then this mumble wouldn't dominate. Then more attention, of course. 
but I should call on this whitehead and get this mumble started. He's no fink, you know. I think we should listen to him. Of course, I think that's all grand. And he says she's not mumble? Not in the least. In fact, quite the mumble. She's an extraordinary mumble and might make a good mumble someday. How infuriating. Just what one dreams will happen. I've always wanted to hear people talk about me, thought Harriet. And now I can't hear it. Suddenly, the doorknob turned. Harriet leaped back, but not quickly enough. She decided to make the best of a bad scene. Boo! she said loudly. Her mother jumped. Good Lord, you frightened me, Harriet. What are you doing there? Were you spying on us? Nope, couldn't hear. Oh, well, it's not because you didn't try. Have you had your breakfast? No. Then run down and get it. You won't be going to school today, dear. I know, I heard that. What else did you hear? Come on, Harriet, out with it. Mrs. Welsh closed the door quickly as she heard Mr. Welsh say, Hello, Miss Whitehead. Nothing, Harriet said. Honest? Honest. All right, run along and eat then. I have to write a letter. I wonder, thought Harriet, what is up? She was still wondering two days later and no wiser. She had had time to catch up on a lot of spy work, but she was surprised to find that on the third day away from school, she was beginning to miss it. She had covered her spy route in the first two days, giving ample time to each case, but there really hadn't been much going on. Little Joe Curry was reinstated after he said he was just hungry. This touched the heart of Mama DeSanti. The next day, however, he was caught with a whole ham. Harriet was there when this happened. It was very exciting because not only was he caught stealing the ham, but he was caught at the instant he was giving it to three of the happiest looking children anybody ever saw. Harriet wrote in her notebook, That was a scene I'm glad I saw because I would have guessed that Mama DeSanti would have bopped him over the head, but when she saw the children, she burst into tears and commenced wailing and giving the kids everything in sight even a whole long salami. Then she shooed them away and told them not to come back or she'd call the cops. People are very funny. Also, she didn't fire little Joe. She told him he better see a doctor. He eats too much. Mrs. Plummer was told by her doctor that she could get up. As far as Harriet could see, she hadn't hit the bed since, but flew from one party to the next all day, did charity work incessantly, and, according to her phone conversations the next day, stayed out half the night, too. The Robinsons showed a lot of people their doll. The DeSanti family, other than the incident with Little Joe, had a fairly uneventful week. Fabio was working hard, even harder than Bruno. Franca flunked some test or other and came home in tears. Dino, the baby, got the chicken pox, so Mama DeSanti had to stay at home with him. The most surprising thing was Harrison Withers. Harriet went by expecting to see him moping about his cats, and there he was, humming and working on a cage in the happiest way possible. She couldn't understand it. He even got up and ate some lunch. He actually made himself a tuna fish sandwich and had a Coke. 
Harriet leaned back against the wall and wrote, I just can't understand this. Oh, I know. Maybe he didn't have enough money to eat good before because he had to buy all those kidneys. Or maybe he couldn't ever eat tuna and he likes tuna. Maybe the cats always grabbed it. She leaned over the parapet again to study the problem at length. Harrison Withers was humming away, even tapping his foot as he worked. She watched, puzzled, until suddenly he looked up in the direction of the kitchen door. Then she saw it. Into the room as though he owned it, to the accompaniment of loud cooing and baby talk from Harrison Withers, walked the tiniest cat Harriet had ever seen. It was a funny-looking little black-and-white kitten, which had a mustache, which made it look as though it were sneering. It stopped, looked at Harrison Withers as though he were a curiosity, and then walked disdainfully across the room. Harrison Withers watched in adoration. Harriet leaned back and wrote, So that's it. Wonder where he got that cat. I guess if you want a cat, you run into one someplace. Hee-hee, they ain't going to change Harrison Withers. And for some reason, as she walked home, Harriet felt unaccountably happy. On the third day, Harriet woke up and found herself really wishing she were going to school. She didn't say anything to her mother, however, because she didn't want to go that much. In the afternoon, she decided to go and see what was happening at the clubhouse. She waited until time for school to be out, then she went over and crawled over the fence to her post. Rachel came home, bringing Marion Hawthorne with her. They walked sedately. They walk like old ladies, thought Harriet. Rachel, don't you think it would be nice if we could play bridge in the afternoons? Marion had a kind of cawing voice, like a crow. Well, said Rachel, I don't know how. Oh, that's easy. I've watched my mother lots of times, said Marion authoritatively. Why don't we play Mahjong? I like that. Well, I think bridge is much chicer, but if you want to, we will. Do you have a set? Well, yes, that is, mother does. Bridge? Mahjong? thought Harriet. Who are they kidding? Wait till sport hears about this. Beth Ellen arrived. Rachel and Marion nodded curtly in her direction. I think, said Marion, that we should uphold a certain standard in this club. Yes, said Rachel, although she looked as though she hadn't the foggiest idea what Marion was getting at. Don't you, Beth Ellen? Marion asked pointedly. Yes. This came out very small. I mean, I think we have to be very careful who we take in and, she looked around darkly, who we keep in. Oh, said Beth Ellen, you mean like a country club? Yes, said Marion, exactly. I think that anyone who wants to have a social life in the afternoon should be welcome. That is, she added mysteriously, that is, if they're the right kind of person. Yes, said Rachel. Yes, whispered Beth Ellen. I also think, and I don't know how you'll feel about this. Marion drew herself up until she looked like her mother. 
but I feel that in view of the fact that I'm the class officer, I should be president of the club. Well, thought Harriet, it's a good thing for you I'm not in this club, because you'd get it right across the head. I therefore nominate myself for president. I second it, said Rachel. She must second things in her sleep, thought Harriet. Motion carried, screeched Beth Ellen in a fit of helpless giggles. Marion frowned Beth Ellen into silence. Now that that's settled, I shall make a few decisions. First, I think we should serve tea. My mother isn't going to like that, said Rachel. Well, not really tea, just milk in teacups. We do have to learn, you know. She isn't going to like that either, the cup part. Well, we can each bring our own cup. Second, we have to set up a card table and chairs. Third, she stood up and pointed her finger as though she were knighting them. I make you vice president, Rachel, and you are the secretary treasurer, Beth Ellen. What do I have to do? Beth Ellen looked terrified. You take minutes, collect the money, and serve the tea. Oh. In other words, thought Harriet, everything. I think also we should discuss people who have the wrong attitude. Marion was liking her job more and more. I think we were all aware at the last meeting of a very wrong attitude coming from Sport and Janie. Naturally, you idiot, thought Harriet. Wait till they find out you're president. Just as the others began to arrive from school, a sudden rainstorm drove them into the clubhouse. Harriet watched a minute to see Sport and Janie run across the yard, the last ones to arrive. Then Harriet ran with all her might, but she was still soaked through by the time she got home. Upstairs, when she had pulled off her wet spy clothes and gotten into her bathrobe, she wrote a long account of what she had seen, adding at the end, Marion Hawthorne is too big for her britches. She's going to get it. Three days later, Harriet was bored to extinction. She had played town all morning in her room, and she was beginning, for the first time in her life, to be bored with her own mind. She was just about to throw her notebook across the room when she heard the doorbell ring. She jumped up and ran as fast as she could downstairs. Her mother was at the front door taking a special delivery letter from the postman. "'What's that?' asked Harriet eagerly. "'Well, I do believe,' said her mother, scrutinizing the letter, "'that it's a letter for you, Harriet.' Her mother smiled at her. "'Who from?' Why, I haven't the faintest idea, her mother said casually, and handing Harriet the letter, disappeared into the library. I never get letters, thought Harriet, and tore open the envelope. She recognized the handwriting at once. Dear Harriet, I have been thinking about you, and I have decided that if you are ever going to be a writer, it is time you get cracking. You are 11 years old and haven't written a thing but notes. Make a story out of some of those notes and send it to me. Beauty is truth, truth, beauty. That is all. You know on earth and all you need to know. John Keats, 
and don't you ever forget it. Now, in case you ever run into the following problem, I want to tell you about it. Naturally, you put down the truth in your notebooks. What would be the point if you didn't? And naturally, those notebooks should not be read by anyone else. But if they are, then, Harriet, you are going to have to do two things, and you don't like either one of them. Number one, you have to apologize. Number two, you have to lie. Otherwise, you are going to lose a friend. Little lies that make people feel better are not bad, like thanking someone for a meal they made, even if you hated it, or telling a sick person they look better when they don't, or someone with a hideous new hat that is lovely. Remember that writing is to put love in the world, not to use against your friends. But to yourself, you must always tell the truth. Another thing, if you're missing me, I want you to know I'm not missing you. Gone is gone. I never miss anything or anyone because it all becomes a lovely memory. I guard my memories and love them, but I don't get in them and lie down. You can even make stories from yours, but remember, they don't come back. Just think how awful it would be if they did. You don't need me now. You're 11 years old, which is old enough to get busy at growing up to be the person you want to be. No more nonsense, oh golly Waldenstein. When she finished reading, Harriet had a wide grin on her face. She ran upstairs holding the letter like a treasure found on the beach. She ran into her room, sat at the desk, and read it over twice. Then she took out some clean paper and a pen. She sat holding the pen over the paper. Nothing happened. She referred to her notes. Still nothing happened. Then she jumped up, ran down to the library, and lugged her father's typewriter up the steps. With a great deal of effort, she hoisted it up to the desk. The first piece of paper she tried to put in got jammed and too wrinkled to write on. She tore it up and put in another. Then she started to type furiously. Harriet went back to school the next day. It felt like the beginning of term again. She strolled down the empty halls, considerably late, because she wanted to make a grand entrance. Her mother and father hadn't been there when she got up, so she decided to sneak off to school. Enough is enough, she thought to herself as she was walking past the principal's office. She decided suddenly to make a note of how she felt, so she wedged herself into a little niche usually reserved for a piece of sculpture. Enough is enough. It is time to rise and shine. Wait till the New Yorker gets a load of that story. It was hard making up him finding the cat, but I think I made up a good moral. That is that some people are one way and some people are another, and that's that. The door to the principal's office opened and Harriet looked up. To her horror, she saw her mother and father walk out. She ducked back into the niche. Maybe, she thought, if I don't breathe, I'll look like a statue. She held her breath, and her mother and father walked past without seeing her. They were laughing and looking at each other, so that even though she rolled her eyes at them, they didn't notice. Boy, wait till she hears that, her father was saying. She'll be, I'm afraid, impossible to live with, 
her mother said, grinning. You know what? said Mr. Welch. I bet she'll do a good job. They went out the front door and Harriet let out a huge breath. I almost burst, she thought. She scrambled down and ran for her classroom. When she got there, everything was in total confusion because Miss Elson wasn't in the room. Everyone was throwing things at everyone else, including wads of chewing gum, and Marion Hawthorne was at the front desk, screeching herself blue for order. No one paid the slightest bit of attention to her, but went on with such chaos that Harriet was able to slip gratefully into her seat unnoticed. At home, she had thought about making some spectacular entrance, perhaps in a funny hat. But when she got to the door, she had been stricken with terror, and now she was glad she hadn't. She sat there quietly, looking at everyone, screaming and running around like nuts. She wrote in her notebook, I am going to write a story about these people. They are just rats. Half of them don't even have a profession. Miss Elson came in and there was instant silence. Everyone trooped to his desk. Sport looked like he would faint when he saw Harriet, and Janie smiled an evil smile at her. No one else seemed to notice. Miss Elson stood up. Well, I'm glad to see that you're back with us, Harriet. She smiled sweetly in Harriet's direction, and ten necks swiveled like keys turning in locks. Harriet tried to smile at Miss Elson and glare at the others, but this being impossible, she got an idiotic look on her face. I'm particularly glad, continued Miss Elson, because I have a special announcement to make about a change in school policy. What in the world, thought Harriet, does that have to do with me? You are aware that we have always let you elect your class officer and that the class officer has always automatically been the editor of the sixth grade page. However, we have decided that this is too much work for one person. Marion Hawthorne gasped audibly and have therefore decided that hereinafter the teacher will select someone else to be editor. We have made this choice on the basis of ability. In looking over all the compositions handed in by the class, Miss Whitehead and I have decided that several of you have a flair for writing and that these few should take turns having the editorship. The selection has been made and the editor from now on for this half year, she paused dramatically and smiled, will be Harriet M. Welsh. You could have heard a pin drop. Harriet stared at Miss Elson in disbelief. They all looked at Miss Elson. No one looked at Harriet. Harriet has been chosen, she continued, for the first half of the year and Beth Ellen for the second half. That means Harriet will write the page for this semester and Beth Ellen next semester. The others will have their chance next year. Beth Ellen turned beet red and almost passed out. Harriet looked around her. Everyone was looking around at either her or Beth Ellen, which was causing Beth Ellen untold embarrassment. There seemed to be a general uneasiness in the room. Miss Elson looked unconcerned, and picking up a textbook, she said, And now today, children, we have studied... Miss Elson? Marion Hawthorne was on her feet. 
I want to register a protest with the school on behalf of a group which I happen to be president of, and which, by general agreement, has decided that this decision is unfair to the class, the great majority which belong... Of which, Marion? Miss Elson corrected. To this club of which I am president. Now, therefore... That's enough, Marion. Sit down. I think you have made yourself clear. I would like to know when you have had the time, however, to amass the great tide of public opinion. I didn't see you asking anyone after I spoke. Marion sat there, unable to think of a thing. I think, therefore, just to enlighten you as to the opinions of your following, and for no other reason, that we should take a vote. I want to make it perfectly clear that the only thing this vote will elicit is a talk with Miss Whitehead. I doubt very seriously that it is at all possible to change the decision. I am sure it is too late. But I do think we might make this an interesting experiment in terms of democracy. It has long been my opinion that one never knows the outcome of a vote, no matter how sure we think we are. And Marion seems terribly sure. I think we should see, therefore. Now I want hands raised on how many want Harriet and Beth Ellen to take over for this year. Marion and Rachel clenched their hands firmly to their sides, as though they might rise of their own accord. Marion actually sat on hers. Harriet and Beth Ellen naturally voted for themselves. Harriet's arm flying up like a Nazi salute, and Beth Ellen's creeping tentatively and trembling as though she were waving. Two and two, thought Harriet. Sport's hand went up. He thinks what Marion writes is stupid, thought Harriet. It has nothing to do with being on my side. Janie's hand went up. Same for her, thought Harriet. She just wants to be able to read the paper. Laura Peters, Pinky Whitehead, and the boy with the green socks did not have their hands up. Uh Uh-oh, thought Harriet. That makes five to four. Or have they just not decided? Where's Carrie Andrews? Absent today. Very slowly, and in his own particular creepy way, Pinky Whitehead put his hand up. Well, thought Harriet, I never thought I'd see the day when Pinky Whitehead would save my life. He looked back at her. She gave him a radiant smile and felt like a first-class hypocrite. That, said Miss Elson, decides that. I think we can learn from this, children, and particularly Marion, not to count your eggs before they vote for you. Beth Ellen giggled helplessly, then stopped and looked around at everyone, as though suddenly aware of her responsibilities. Chapter 16 Harriet got out the first edition in record time. When she took in her finished page, the senior who was chief editor said that it was the fastest she had ever seen anyone write. On the day the paper appeared, Harriet was horribly nervous. Suppose, she thought on her way to school, I stink. Suppose everyone looks at each other and says, Why did we ever get rid of Marion Hawthorne? Maybe she wasn't Dostoevsky, 
but she was readable at least. Suppose, Harriet bit her lip in her musing, they insist on a recount. She was trembling by the time she got to class. Everyone at every desk had a paper. Everyone had his nose buried in the sixth grade page. Harriet couldn't bear to look around. She slid into her seat and guiltily started looking at her own copy, which had been put there. She read her own printed words with a mixture of horror and joy. Mrs. Agatha K. Plummer is a rich lady on East Ann Avenue who thought she had found out the secret of life, which was to stay in bed all the time. She is a very stupid lady. Then, lo and behold, the doctor told her she had to stay in bed, and she fainted away in surprise. Then he told her he had made a mistake, and she hasn't hit the bed since. I think he tricked her because she thought she wanted to stay in bed, which is stupid. Which goes to show you two things, that what you want is maybe stupid, and that doctors are finks. Harriet felt in rereading that it had a strong ring to it. She looked around at everybody reading. They are only looking for mistakes, she thought. I wonder what each one is reading. I wonder if writers ever see anyone reading their books on the subway, maybe. She turned back to the paper. She had had a hard time deciding between a story about Fabio and a story about the Robinsons. She had finally decided to do a story about Franca DeSanti because she was closer in age to the class and therefore might interest them more. Franca DeSanti has one of the dumbest faces you could ever hope to see. I don't know how she gets through the day. She even has to lean on things all the time. She is about our age and goes to public school where she is always flunking things like shop that we don't have. Maybe they teach them how to run a shop there. Anyway, it won't do Franca a bit of good because she won't ever learn anything anyway. Her father owns a store on 86th and anyone who wants to can go any day and look through the back window and see Franca. She is the shortest girl there and is always mooning around. You would know her anywhere. One day I saw Franca on the street. She was walking along in front of me dragging her feet. I knew it was her because she always hangs her head over to one side. I don't know why. Maybe it's too heavy. Anyway, I watched her and she did the dumbest thing. She went into the park and straight over to some pigeons. They looked like they were expecting her. Then she had a long conversation. Then she had a long conversation with those pigeons. I hid behind a tree and I still couldn't hear a word, but Franca looked like she was having a good time. She doesn't have a good time at home because everyone knows how dumb she is and doesn't talk to her. By the time Harriet finished reading, Miss Elson had walked in. Harriet watched everyone put their papers away. Each one looked at Harriet surreptitiously as they did so, but she couldn't tell anything by their faces. They just looked at her curiously. She noticed, however, that at lunchtime, all the noses were stuck in the paper again. That night at dinner, Harriet suddenly felt like one big ear. Every single thing her mother and father said seemed to be important. Some of the things she didn't understand, 
but they were nonetheless intriguing. I really don't understand Mabel Gibbs. She starts out with this big thing about the kids going to dancing school. You'd think from the way she talked that they would be absolute apes in the drawing room if we didn't send them. And I told her at the time, of course, that I thought Harriet was too young. Naturally, she's going to dancing school, but I think 12 is perhaps a better age, that's all. Well, then, after all that, Mabel says to me ever so calmly the other day, I just don't think that Janie is ready yet. Can you imagine? She wants to save money, interjected Harriet. Harriet, you mustn't say such things, said Mrs. Welsh. Why shouldn't she? It's the God's truth, said Mr. Welsh. Well, we don't know that. She said, in fact, that she couldn't do a thing with Janie, and she just didn't want the job of having to force her into a black velvet dress every Friday night. It just wasn't worth it. She's hoping Janie will change suddenly. Into a pumpkin, said Harriet. Into a lady, continued Mrs. Welsh. Time enough for that, said Mr. Welsh. You know, I was thinking the other day... Mrs. Welsh seemed to be changing the subject. That Millie Andrews really hasn't got good sense. Did you see her at the Peters party? Well, I don't know what you were doing. Everybody was talking about it. Jack Peters was out of his mind and falling off the bar stool, and there was Millie Andrews just smiling at him like an idiot. Mr. Welsh said nothing. He was swallowing. He was about to speak when the phone rang. He threw his napkin down and stood up. That better be from the Times. If they don't print that retraction tomorrow, I'm going to be mad as a hornet. He stormed angrily to the telephone. What's a retraction? asked Harriet. Well, it's like this. If a newspaper makes a mistake and they are told about it, then they print the fact that they have made a mistake and at the same time they print the correct information. "'Oh,' said Harriet. "'That night when she went up to bed, she took copious notes. "'Later, under the covers, she read a book on newspaper reporting "'that she had found in the school library. "'In the next edition of the paper, the sixth-grade page carried the following items. "'Janie Gibbs has won her battle. "'This should be a lesson to all of you in courage and determination. "'If you don't know what I'm talking about,' then ask her. Jack Peters, Laura Peters' father, was out of his mind and at the Peters party last Saturday night. Millie Andrews, Carrie Andrews' mother, just smiled at him like an idiot. For anyone who doesn't know it, a retraction means that a newspaper is correcting its mistakes. So far, this page hasn't made any mistakes. During the ensuing weeks, the following entries held the class enthralled. Mr. Harry Welsh almost lost his job last week for being late. He is always slow in the morning. Ask Carrie Andrews if she feels all right. And a week later, ask Laura Peters if all is well at home. Miss Elson was trailed home from school the other day, and it turns out she lives in a real rat hole of an apartment. Maybe the school doesn't pay her enough money to live in a good place. 
There will be a sizzling editorial on this next week. A very hot item was... There are certain people in a certain club who ought to watch out because there are certain other people who want to take over from certain other people because certain other people don't want to spend all afternoon drinking tea and playing a certain game. After this last item, Harriet watched the group very carefully. She detected a touch of uneasiness, but nothing actively happened at school. She went therefore that afternoon to spy on the clubhouse. She was completely gratified by what she saw and heard. Marion, Rachel, Laura, Carrie, the boy with the green socks, and Pinky Whitehead were all there by the time she got there. A discussion was in progress. Well, it's just outrageous, Marion said in a huff. Scandalous, echoed Rachel. The things she writes anyway are just absurd, continued Marion. Who ever heard of such a thing in a newspaper? When I ran that paper, no one read things like that. Things like that don't belong in a paper. She should be stopped. I like reading them, said Pinky. That's Pinky, thought Harriet. She can't be stopped, said Carrie. She's the editor. Even so, said Marion, somebody should. She paused dramatically. We should. But what was she talking about? About the club, I mean, asked Pinky. Marion, Rachel, Laura, and Carrie all looked into the distance. Obviously, thought Harriet, those four play bridge. Uh-oh, said Marion, here comes trouble. Sport and Janie appeared at the back door. They were both furious. They walked across the yard like a pair of Gestapo agents come to question. I think, said Janie, that we had better have this out. This has gone far enough, said Sport, and looked at Pinky and the boy with the green socks. I can't imagine what you men think you're doing here. What? What? said both boys together. Well, think about it, continued Sport. How many men play bridge in the afternoon? My father plays bridge, said Pinky defensively. But not in the afternoon, sneered Jamie. He plays bridge at night. When he's forced to stop, said Sport. What? Marion stood up. Are you two talking about? You know perfectly well what, said Sport. You've been rattling around here with teacups and packs of cards for two weeks now, and why have we even listened to you for one minute? I don't know. Because we have just as much right in this club as you do. Well, I am president. Oh, no, you're not as of now, said Janie. Beth Ellen sidled in. Janie flung her a long look. And you're not secretary treasurer either. Beth Ellen spoke up suddenly. I don't give a hang. I never wanted to be, and besides, I hate bridge. Everyone stared at her because it was the longest sentence she had ever been heard to say. People, said Marion in a slow, hard way, who do not belong can leave. This is our clubhouse too, shouted Sport. 
You couldn't even have built it without me. Precisely, said Janie, and I think the point is we should discuss exactly what this club is supposed to be for. There was a long silence. Some of them kicked the dirt with their feet. Others looked at the sky. Harriet suddenly noticed that Rachel was giving Janie a long, hateful look. Finally, Rachel said, It may be your club, but it's my backyard. The remark fell heavily into the group. What now? thought Harriet with excitement. That, said Janie finally, settles that. She turned and walked toward the back door. You bet your nose it does, said Sport, and followed Janie. They slammed the back door, producing a distant shriek from Mrs. Hennessy. I agree with them, said Beth Ellen, and stomped out. What in the world has happened to Beth Ellen, thought Harriet. She was not a mouse anymore. Harriet watched with glee as one by one the other children left. Marion and Rachel finally sat alone. They looked at each other and then looked away. I guess, said Rachel with some embarrassment, that I'll go see if the cake is ready. She was getting up rather forlornly when suddenly Laura and Carrie came back. We decided there wasn't anything else to do anyway, so we might as well play bridge, said Lauren. Besides, said Carrie, I'm rather fond of it. Harriet watched while they set up a dinky little card table, put out some chipped cups, and cut the cake. When they dealt the cards, she left. As they went over the fence, she thought to herself, I'm glad my life is different. I bet they'll be doing that the rest of their lives. And she felt rather sorry for them for a moment, but only for a moment. As she walked along the street, she thought, I have a nice life. With or without, old golly, I have a nice life. The time is ripe, Harriet thought, as she went into the senior editor's office. She had a long private conversation with the senior editor, who was called Lisa Quackenbush. She was a tallish girl who spit a lot when she talked, and who seemed to find Harriet as funny as TV comedian. Harriet couldn't see anything funny, whatever it was she was relating to Miss Quackenbush, and so she made some rapid-fire notes after leaving the office. Miss Quackenbush is either insane or she has a very nervous laugh. The week after the conference, there appeared on the sixth grade page the following announcement. It was placed quite prominently in the center of the page with a border around it. This page wishes to retract certain statements printed in a certain notebook by the editor of the sixth grade page, which were unfair statements and besides were lies. Anyone who saw these statements is hereby notified that they were lies and that a general apology is offered by the editor of the sixth grade page. The day the announcement appeared, Harriet stayed home from sheer embarrassment. She managed to convince her mother that she was just about to come down with a terrible cold, the type of cold that could be nipped in the bud by only one little day home from school. There is, of course, no kind of a cold in the world like this, but Harriet's mother had become convinced of this because it had happened to work so many times. 
Harriet knew just what signs of listlessness it took to put her mother's mind into this track. She languished, therefore, until she heard her mother leave to go shopping. The moment the door shut, Harriet leaped from the bed as though shot from a cannon. She worked all day on her story, that is, from ten in the morning until three in the afternoon. Then she got up, stretched, and feeling very virtuous, she took a walk by the river. There was a cold wind off the water, but the day was one of those bright, brilliant, shining days that made her feel the world was beautiful, would always be, would always sing, could hold no disappointments. She skipped along the bank, stopping once to watch a tugboat, following an old woman once all the way to the mayor's house. She took a few notes, concentrating on description, which she felt to be her weakest point. Yesterday, when I went into that hardware store, it smelled like the inside of an old thermos bottle. I have thought a lot about being things since trying to be an onion. I have tried to be a bench in the park, an old sweater, a cat, and my mug in the bathroom. I think I did the mug best because when I was looking at it, I felt it looking back at me and I felt like we were two mugs looking at each other. I wonder if grass talks. She sat there thinking, feeling very calm, happy, and immensely pleased with her own mind. She looked up and down the walk. No one was in sight. She looked out over the water to the neon sign whose pink greed spoiled the view at night. When she looked back, she saw them coming toward her. They were moving so slowly, they hardly seemed to be in motion. Sport had his hands in his pockets and looked out over the water. Janie walked with her eyes as nearly skyward as possible. If there had been anything in front of her, she would have broken her neck. They didn't appear to be talking, but they were so far away Harriet couldn't really tell. They were so far away that they looked like dolls. They made her think of the way she imagined the people when she played town. Somehow, this way, she could see them better than she ever had before. She looked at them each carefully in the longest time it took them to reach her. She made herself walk in sports shoes, feeling the holes in his socks rub against his ankles. She pretended she had an itchy nose when Janie put one abstracted hand up to scratch. She felt what it would feel like to have freckles and yellow hair like Janie then funny ears and skinny shoulders like sport. When they reached her, they just stood there in front of her, each looking in a different direction. The wind was terribly cold. Harriet looked at her feet. They looked at her feet. Then they looked at their own feet. Well, thought Harriet. She opened her notebook very carefully, watching their eyes as she did. They watched her back. She wrote, Old Golly is right. Sometimes you have to lie. She looked up at Sport and Janie. They didn't look angry. They were just waiting for her to finish. She continued. Now that things are back to normal, I can get some real work done. She slammed the book and stood up. All three of them turned then and walked along the river.